Welcome to another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Journeys of descending into the mysteries and rising from the roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, spiritual mentor and priestess. I have guided hundreds of women and men into the mysteries within them to rise rooted into their sovereign selves. And today I have Mary Reynolds on the show with me. Mary is the youngest woman to win a gold medal at the prestigious Chelsea Flower Show. She is the author of The Garden Awakening and the newly released book, We Are the Ark. Her life has been the inspiration for the film Dare to be Wild. She is an ex-garden designer who believes everything must change. And so we must reimagine and rebuild our relationship with nature. This episode is full of so much inspiration on reconnecting to the earth that holds us, to healing the soil, and coming into deep communion with the wild magic that is all around us and in every, every single breathing moment. Can't wait to sink into this episode with you. Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast, and I am here with Mary Reynolds today, and Mary is the author of The Garden Awakening, and it is one of my most favorite books, and I love the return to the wild magic of the land, so I'm very excited for this conversation, so welcome, Mary, and to start, we'll start with what has been the journey that has led you to the work that you're offering the world today. Thank you, Lisa. Well, it's been a long journey. So um, I guess um, it's been, it's been quite, it's, there's quite a number of stages to that, but um, to try and summarize it really quickly, um, I, I grew up um, in Ireland um, in, in, a, in a small farm and I was the youngest of six children and my parents had full-time jobs as well as being farmers. So I um, I made my connections with the world of, of nature as opposed to people, you know, mm-hmm. because um, there wasn't that many of them around. Excuse me, my daughter is giving me a cup of tea. Thank you. I don't want to go to the um, So, and then I um, disappeared into um, kind of the world of teenage world and, you know, um, parties and all sorts of crazy things and um, I ended up doing landscape design in college um, and didn't really enjoy it but I found my way uh, in it and then eventually I realized that um, I kind of wasn't helping nature I was hurting nature and mm. nobody would let me do a design like I was imagining which was with wild plants and native plants and so um it was kind of an Irish angle and I went to the Chelsea flower show which was the only kind of flower show I had heard of which is this big flower show in London and it's kind of where people go to and it sets trends in landscape design and stuff but I was very young um and I got a gold medal at that which brought me into an international career and then and then somebody made a movie about that. And so um, that was called Dare to be Wild. It was a very sweet kind of simple film. And 
they wanted me to write a book of the story and I kind of started and then I got bored with it and because I had talked to the screenwriter about it so I didn't really want to keep repeating myself so I um, started writing about my work and I wrote myself out of a job fairly quickly and that's where the garden awakening came from I had to reimagine how to design gardens which allowed the land to become what she wanted to become as well as creating spaces for ourselves and then and then one day a good few years later I was sitting at my desk and looking down over my garden designing a space for somebody and I realized something else shifted because I watched a fox run past and two hares chasing the fox which is all backwards mm. and it was daytime it was winter and I kept watching and I saw a little hedgehog scuttling along they should have been asleep and certainly it's not they're nocturnal creatures so I went outside to see what was wrong and I went down to the end of my little lane which was country lane in Ireland and there was this thicket of a field on the far side of the little road which was just wide enough for one car and um, you know nobody ever went in there it was it was completely wild it was about an acre of land it was full of brambles and gorse and prickly trees like hawthorns and blackthorns and um, it was impenetrable and somebody had got planning permission to build a house at the top of the field and they'd gone in with a digger and they'd cleared it all out within an hour I guess without any thought for all the creatures that called it home and so they had nowhere left to go and I stood there in absolute horror because that was um, something I had done myself so many times without consideration of our shared kin so I went inside and I thought about it and I thought where are they going to go all these wild creatures you know where where are they supposed to go you know they can't go into our woodlands because certainly in Ireland um, our woodlands are now commercial crops they're not actually woodlands anymore um, they're not native they're just stands of non-native very very chemically supported trees which you know don't support life really and um, they can't go into agricultural land because it's sprayed so much and all their little habitats are disappearing. So their only hope is these little wild places and these little islands. And um, they can't go into our gardens because they're full of non-native plants, which are not, have not evolved within the local food web. And they're, they're too tidy and neat and they don't support anyone really, other than the ones we've dis decided are acceptable to our eye. Mm. so then I started we are the ark um which is acts of restorative kindness to the earth and I'm asking people to take as much of any land they have under their, their care as they can spare and give it back to nature and to 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 arc it to um it's like a mini rewild um to try and um restore a native plant ecosystem with as many supports for our um our wild creatures as possible and that's what I do now is I design those sorts of spaces, spaces that really, if we don't need the space, then give it back. Mm. Uh, you can create spaces within these, these arcs, but you know, you don't need to make them pretty. I think that time for gardens is over. I think the time for treating land as some kind of a creative um, blank palette for our visions, that's gone. 
that's part of an old world and we're birthing a new world at the moment here. And part of the release, we're letting those things go. One of the things we have to let go is gardens. Mm. So I think people need to start growing their own food without chemicals and give the rest of any land they have back to nature. And, and nothing mm. else makes any sense to me anymore. Yeah. Can you explain to the listeners the difference between kind of your standard garden that would have been at like the, the Chelsea garden show and what your garden represented in that show? That was back in 2002. So the garden I did back then um, was instilled with very strong intentions because um, I understood even back then that if you ask the land to hold a particular intention in a space, it will do that. So I had all the people building it. I had told them all that when they're building it, that they have to remember that this garden is being built to remind people of the importance of wild places. Mm. And um, it was built with lots of symbolism um, in the shapes and patterns that are harmonious to nature um, and lots of um, kind of, I suppose, magical ideas. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the, the world of magic, you know, world of nature, um, all those other worlds which we have chased away in the last 50 years, um, they, they, need, they need to come back to balance out everything again. So the, the, the idea of what I did was I created a very, very natural space, um, which also had a lot of symbolism in, in it. And I pulled on a lot of mythology and it had throne, um, stone thrones um, on the north, south, east, west axis. And they were sitting around a pool of water and the, the, you know, our ancestors in Ireland used to believe that water held the magic because the sun set into the water. So the water held the light, the magic, the, the power of the sun and the moon um, in its turn. And so they, they, they thought that was a very powerful um, element. And then I had a, a bowl um, for a fire, a stone bowl, which held fire in the center of that pool. And so you sat around this kind of magical space and then there was simply a wrath, which is like a, a donut of earth around the back of that, covered in wild plants. And there was hawthorn trees surrounding that and then dry stone walls. And it was all just wild plants. And there was a beautiful moon gate, like a circular stone um, mm. entrance, um, which also had a, a reflected circle on the ground. And that was reminiscent of um, uh, the, a, a symbol called the Vesca Pisces, which is two, two circles crossing at their points and it creates a particular shape in the center. And the person, there was a line that goes through that and the person walking into the garden, um, it becomes that line and it's, it's the connection, it's the crossover between the natural and the spiritual world. And that's mm -hmm. what I tried to create there. Yeah, I saw the movie dare to be wild. I love it. It's so beautiful. <laughs> Such a beautiful story. Um, and seeing the garden and what it felt like for me was almost like going into a portal of myth and folklore and the other world. 
which is kind of the old ways of what existed in this world on the earth. Like when you go to Stonehenge or Avebury in the stone circles, there's such intensity and energy there. And that's what it felt like seeing this beautiful wild magic garden space that you had created in London. But you see, that's the thing. Those, those places were created with intention Mm. Um, and that's why they have that energy and you can do that anywhere on your own land and by believing that you can and using words or using stones or using water to instill that intent into your space and the land will respond and it will be as magical as you want it to be you know it could be a healing space it could be a fun space it can be a portal space it can be whatever you want it to be everything is possible um we've just forgotten that the world of magic is available to us i love that the world of magic is available to us because that's what it what it felt like seeing that movie and reading the book the garden awakening as well as just that opening to the world of magic where fairies are alive the elements are alive the trees are alive the world is just thriving and speaking to us in every moment could you speak to does anything come to mind of gardens our typical lawns and kind of this manicured way that we've been living why that came into being what was the the purpose of that and how do we move how do we take that because we all kind of have a lawn we have our our typical standard backyard how do we start to wild that up and create magic in what already exists there sure um well lawns were um a status symbol mm. and, um, it was really only something that the wealthy could afford because anybody who had any land under their care had to use that land to grow food so it only started to become a status symbol really in the 1900s when you know the middle classes kind of got to the point where they were buying food and they had they were growing their own food as well but they didn't have to do as much of it and they had um any land they had left they turned into a lawn around their house it was a way of saying to their neighbors hey look at me i'm i'm doing well you know mm. and um it's just clung on um so it, it it's it's this weird concept that we have that neatness equals care when actually what neatness is doing in nature is suppressing life and suppressing magic, suppressing energy. Um, and so, you know, there is a place for loans because in ARCs, what I ask people to do is to create as many layers of ecosystem development as possible, ecosystem maturity, because, um, you know, if you want to really restore a working ecosystem you'd need about 1500 acres minimum so in a small garden people can't obviously bring back wolves and all the creatures that we've taken out of the system to allow it to be a working system you know so in a simple way um the only way to have to support as much life as possible is to have as many of those layers as possible so our job is to step in and become the wolf, become, you know, the beaver, become the badger, become 
you know, the wild boar become whatever creatures you have in your own part of the world that maintain the web of life. And so one of those um, levels of ecosystem maturity is, is mown grass or, you know, mm. a lawn really, because um, the large herbivores would always have had mown, you know, kept some areas short. And then you'd have a meadow and then you'd have scrubby areas like thorny areas and then you'd have woodland and then you have lots of things in between there. And, you know, you can have so many different types of ecosystems depending on the parts of the world you are. And you try and develop them in order to support life. But if you have a lawn at the moment, over here, it's much easier. You know, it depends on the situation. But, you know, if it's like, if you have a new lawn, and you're about to sow it, don't sow it, you know, don't sow grass into it, you know. Um, now, there is a problem in the States and in Canada because you guys have had such an invasion of non-native species that are in you know, plant species um, that the soils are kind of infiltrated everywhere and you have to kind of remove those in order to support life because um, the non-native invasive plants have not evolved within the context of their local food web and they haven't got the, the, the checks and balances that they would have in, in where they're from. Mm. Um, they haven't evolved as food sources for um, any of the native insects and they take over and they, they suppress um, an ecosystem re-establishing. So the first thing you would have to do would be to take them out and to keep them out. And so if you are lucky enough not to have any in your soil and then then you kind of just let what's there come up and you mow it and it will be it'll be a really interesting, diverse, short arced lawn. And then you have a meadow um, and you only keep as much of it as you need, you know, keep the area around your house short because you you kind of it's it's it makes sense um from lots of reasons from fire break reasons to keeping rice mice and you know other little creatures away from the house it makes a lot of sense you know just practically and then and then you have your meadow and then you have your scrub layer and then you have your wood layer and you might only get to have two layers in there and then you add in all sorts of other um supports for life within that like water and um stone piles and dead wood piles and um, all sorts of things you know mm, dead wood yeah sorry if you don't have um if you don't have the option to allow what's there to come out then your your second best option is is to um collect wild kind of wildflower seed locally mm. and get mix of native grasses and wildflowers, native wildflower seeds. Just make sure you're allowed to collect them, depends on, on the situation. And then use that to sow, because not only is, is it important that it's native, it's also important that it's local, because local provenance actually has a huge impact on, on an ecosystem. Like a lot of the insects have evolved within kind of a 10, 10 15 mile radius of where they are and they, um, their tongues might be too short or too long for a flower or a plant that they're used to feeding from um, if you bring it in from further away. So then the next best layer again 
is to order organic native wildflower plants, um, seeds and native grasses and sow them and then keep them mown be the herbivore. Mm, okay. So if you have already, you know, kind of a lawn that's existing, it would be to start to bring in native plants to the it, area. It would be, say that again, sorry. To bring in like native plants, native grasses to the area. Yeah. So you might have to kill off the existing sward mm. and you can do that by covering it with, you know, um, cardboard and stones or old carpets or um, just don't use chemicals, you know, mm. if you have plastic, you can use plastic, cover it with dark plastic, black plastic, if you have any, and it won't take long for it to kill off anything underneath it, you know, um, just don't, don't use chemicals, please, because they're killing, they're killing everything in, in the soil, and, and you're, you're being told that they're not dangerous, but they're so dangerous, and they're, they're not only killing everything in the soil, they're water soluble chemicals and they go into our system and they're in our rain, they're in our breast milk, they're in everything and they're killing the bacteria in our guts and they're causing untold problems in, in, in our in our world. So mm. try if you can. Yeah. So with that, bringing back in native plants into the you know, into our lawns, into our backyards, all that kind of stuff. What does that do for the soil? Because as I understand it right now, our soil is not healthy and it's creating a lot of the destruction that we're seeing on the planet because our soil isn't fertile. It's like um, crying for moisture and water and fertility and life. And so does that do anything to the soil bringing in the native plants? Yes, I mean, if your soil is dry and you're dealing with dry lands, is that what you mean? It's desertification. I mean, that, mm -hmm. that, I mean, there's, there's wonderful organizations all around the world who are very, very capable of dealing with this. And there, and there are things like ecosystem restoration camps and Jeff Lawton's Permaculture Institute in Australia. And um, they, they just basically, they find the contour lines on your land as in, you know, find the, the lines that are level. And then they dig out swales, like, which are basically little, little ditches. Mm. And then they put the soil on the lower side of that. And they also, if you can't do that, they use stone ditches or dry stones, just hold anything you can do to, that when the rain does come, that you get to hold it on the land rather than washing it away. And that's just the first step to rebooting an ecosystem on dry lands is try and hold the water on the land when it does come. And um, that usually then, along with mulching very heavily, um, planting pioneer species native plants is, is how people start to reboot an ecosystem in places like what you're describing. It's all about slowing the water down and holding it on site as mm. much as we can. And it raises the water table and gives a chance to the, the to the, the land to, to restore itself. Um, you can also make compost teas um, to restore the bacteria and fungi and viruses, everything that needs to be there that we've killed off with chemicals and um, monocultures and the communities of plants that should naturally coexist um, are deeply related to 
the, the, the life beneath the soil, you know. Um, and so, you know, there's eight, approximately, they reckon 8.7 million species, different species on the earth. And we only know and documented, have documented 1.2 million of them, you know, and there's a whole, there's wow. most, of, most of those are down beneath us, you know, and so soil recovers so quickly when you start when you cover it you don't dig it you never dig soil um unless you're making swales to restore it like or you have to dig it a hole for a tree or something but you know gardening tells you you should dig the soil you know when you're growing food but overexposure to oxygen kills off all the bacteria and microorganisms beneath the soil the, the mycelium fungi um you're better off doing no dig systems. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, mm -hmm. no. no dig is the easiest way to grow food. It's so cool. You basically take, you know, some of your lawn or whatever it is you've got, whatever area you have, and you put cardboard down, maybe a couple of layers, um, poke some holes in it so that there's breathable, uh, um, that there's, you know, you can, the soil can breathe. You soak the cardboard and then you cover it with, you know, a few inches of, organic peat-free compost. And then you just sow your veggies into that. And it's the best way of growing food because you don't have to dig, you don't have to do anything. You can put an edge on it if you want, you know, um, little wooden edges or stone edges or terracotta ends or whatever you want, um, but you don't have to. Um, I find it's best not to because uh, snails and slugs like, like those little edges, you know. Um, and when, well, my, my vegetable garden, now that it's surrounded by an arc, there's, I don't have any problems because the balance is back and the birds eat everything that I, that I would normally be struggling against, you know? Mm, I've never heard of that. No digging. Is there, there's probably videos on YouTube that people can. Oh, it's called no dig. That's all it's called. No dig vegetable growing. Mm. Mm, that sounds easy. It's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so, it's so great. And so the grass or, you know, whatever is underneath just dies off and contributes to the nutrients, you know. Mm. Can you speak to mulch and what it is? And also like, you know, the kind of traditional way that we see is rake your lawn in the fall, in the autumn, take the leaves to the landfill, mow your lawn, take the grass to the landfill. That's kind of what we've been programmed to do. And so mulch, as I understand it, is like the dead leaves, the dead bark, all that kind of stuff and the dead grass and using that to create the ecosystem. Yeah. Well, by taking away the leaves, number one, um, what happens is that's all about protecting the lawn, you know, and keeping everything tidy. But those leaves are a vital part of the life cycle of many creatures in the winter. And so by raking them away or, you know, using that hellish implement, the leaf floor, burning mm. all the little creatures that are living within um, the leaves is a disaster. And by allowing the leaves to fall and lay where they fall, it's, Number one, allowing a lot of larvae to complete their life cycles. A lot of little mammals use those, you know, that winter blanket basically to survive throughout the winter, the, the blanket of leaves. And also it kills off the grass, which in an arc system is 
quite good because it allows um, space then for other annual wildflowers to come up, you know, and um, they might be things that we consider weeds, but as long as they're native, they're going to have a really important role to play and we shouldn't be taking them out. Um, you might you might have them in a mown area and that's okay, mow them and they'll still manage to survive within the mown areas generally, it depends on the plant, you know, sometimes they won't, but um, if you don't need it to be a mown area, just keep some of it mown, which allows certain birds, um, you know, access to foraging and, you know, different creatures are supported by a mown area. And then, and then also, you know, the trees drop their leaves and the grass clippings, that's, that's nutrients returning to the soil, you know, and we're taking away all the food and the soil is being starved of that replenishment every year. So it makes no sense. It's just our mindset. And once you start to see all these creatures return, your heart opens up to embrace every single one of them. So you never feel anything other than what else can I do? Because when you're aware of the collapse of nature all around us, um, all of us are extremely upset about it, that are aware of it and who care. Um, this, is a, this is a game changer. This is the one thing that gives people hope. You know, by, by restoring, if you want to save the planet, then you're going to have to start with your own patch of it. You know, you, you've got to let go of the whole concept of the garden and you've got to embrace the concept of an ark and to, to kind of just see how many creatures can you support in here. And your heart literally opens up to embrace all of them into your family. It's really amazing mm. what happens. And, you know, you leave your ark then and you go out and you see all these controlled spaces and suddenly you see how ridiculous it all is. You know, what are we doing? You know, um, and it changes everything. And, and, you, and when you see how quickly nature recovers, it really does give you hope. And how quickly creatures turn up, like it's like they're desperate, you know. So it's just amazing, really. Just it's a real, it's a really positive action to take. Mm, it's something everybody can do with their yeah. their own space. So that is very inspiring and gives hope that we and can shift around this state that we're in. Totally. And I ask people to make a sign make their own sign it doesn't have to be fancy like just anything that says this is an ark with the website underneath that you can stick up for your neighbors so that they understand what's happening so they don't just think oh she's lost the plot she's just somebody needs to go and help her to tidy up because people will come in and tidy up for you you have to be careful you'll find your neighbor out spraying chemicals thinking they're doing a favor mm -hmm. <laughs> or They'll feel sorry for you, whatever it is. But if you educate them with that simple sign and the website as, um, as a reference, it changes everything and it inspires other people to, be, to do the same. And I know in America, or are you in Canada or America? Apologies. Canada. In Canada. West well, Coast, yeah. So in, 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 Can in America, they have these things called homeowners associations. Do you guys have them as well? I think, yes. So in homeowner associations, you're not allowed to do anything, you know. However, in every organization, there are people who want to change. 
and we're finding in our ARC group, we have like a Facebook group called We Are The ARC. And in that group, I found is a few people who are approaching their homeowners associations and they've got them on board to turn the gardens into ARCs, which is huge. That's and once, huge. That's, once that starts to happen, there's a good chance we can turn it all around very, very quickly, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Can you speak to compost tea? I remember after I read the garden awakening, I was living in the mountains at that time. And I literally wanted to start spraying compost tea everywhere (laughs) as a way to rebuild the soil. So it feels like a powerful thing that the everyday person can do compost tea. Well, I have my own weird way of making compost teas but you can look up online there's loads of really cool ones like the one I make is weird you know but I'll tell you about my one but um what I do is I get a big barrel of rainwater or spring water or um I don't tend to use tap water because there's so many chemicals in it and it you know particularly the chlorine it kills off all the bacteria in the water which is the or in the soil which is what the opposite of what we want to do here and it also kills bacteria in your own gut seat not good stuff so um what but if you if you can only use tap water then if you let it stand for 24 hours at least the chlorine dissipates at least so that's that's better than nothing and then you go and get just one handful of soil if you can and with permission from an old old woodland an established woodland an old local um old soil if you can mm. and ask permission from the land as well and if it doesn't feel right don't do it um and you know if it looks like you know don't don't do it if, if there's too much disturbance there already or whatever but just one handful is all as long as it's okay and it feels okay and the, the landowner doesn't mind and all that stuff um and bring it back and put it into the um, barrel of water with um a cup full of molasses do you know what molasses is it's like mm-hmm. a sugar stuff or some kind of you know sugar stuff and and then if you can get a pond aerator and stick it in a bubbly a bubbler thing mm-hmm. um 24 hours it just makes it a lot easier because you can walk away and let that bubble away for 24 hours and then after 24 hours you have a day before it all goes bad because um if you leave it longer than 48 hours and uh, the they all start to eat each other, all these micronutrient microorganisms. It's just they start eating each other because they've overpopulated the water. So you then spray, you can also stir intentions into water using a big stick. You can stir, you know, whatever intention you have for your land in um, and you do it in big swirls like they do in biodynamic um, preparations. And um, you can talk into it or you can, you can um, think into it or you can write it on the barrel itself. It doesn't matter as long as the intention is all around the water in the barrel. Um, and then then you have this wonderful, um, huge supply of uh, organisms, which you then pour on your soil or sprinkle on your soil or whatever, you know, and we establish it. Now, don't do that unless there's plants there for them to, to work with. Like, I wouldn't put it onto bare soil, you know. Um, and then uh, yeah that really helps is that the one you were hoping to hear about yeah 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 yeah. that sounds beautiful and relatively easy 
to do. So it's not something super complex. And you spoke to asking permission Mm -hmm. from the land and, and that's like asking permission from the trees, from the land. Can you speak to that ancient practice and how people can start to bring it back? Because I think it's such a beautiful way to be in communion with the land, as opposed to just taking from the land. Well, I guess it's just the understanding that, that um, everything is alive. Everything, every stone, every tree, every drop of water, every creature, every person, everything, we're all alive, you know, and it's all this magical web of life that, you know, we keep pulling the threads out of and um, our job is to look after it. And so, you know, there's a communication that happens, which is heart-based, you know, and, you know, you just have to practice because you think you're totally nuts and, you know, you're talking away to something through your heart or not using your voice either, but it's a heart-based voice, you know, it's different energy. Um, and you're just asking for um, permission if it doesn't. And what I mean by that is like everything has character and individuality. So like there's some days somebody might come up to me and say, will you, you know, will you come for a cup of tea or whatever it is that people might ask, you know, and, I'm, and some days I might want to say no. Uh, I really don't feel up to that today. Simple as, and it's the same with everything else. Like I, I know, mm. so if you if you are cutting down a tree, for example, that's a difficult one because sometimes you just have to. There's just the situation is that you have to, or you're cutting your food, you're killing a plant to eat it, or whatever it is, and you just that's why the world was of our ancestors and of people that live still the indigenous peoples that still live in harmony with the world um it was it was full of ritual um the ritual was to communicate and say thank you and be in service and gratitude for what you took um to constantly be in gratitude and service back to nature for what you've done and so the communication is very simple you just you know you have to be like if I'm going to be cutting down a tree, I let it know the day before, you know, and um, if I'm going to move it or if I'm going to cut it to the base. And if I'm going to cut it to the base, like coppice it, I'll tell it that it has to pull all its energy back into its roots. Mm. And I'll be coming back at the same time tomorrow to do it, you know. And there's a respect in that and they accept that. If you just come along and hack it, it's a different, different scenario altogether. Um, and it's the same with your food and it's the same with taking a handful of soil. If it, you know, if it doesn't feel right, don't do it. Like I learned this when I was young and I was starting off and as a designer and I, this story is in the Garden Awakening. And I was doing a TV makeover for a garden in Ireland. And, you know, we were doing it with, you know, a wing and a prayer like you know there was no money involved or anything so I was like begging and borrowing and stealing everything I could to make this little garden and um I remember I was I, I had just bought a new little van um and I was bursting along this road and I was full of ego and full of how exciting it was to be working in television world and all this sort of thing and um 
I noticed on this little country road, there was a hill up to one side over this big stone wall covered in trees. And there was this incredibly beautiful piece of a, a branch of a tree that was all twisted and gnarled. And, you know, I saw it and I thought, wow, that would be fabulous in the garden, you know. And I stopped the, the van, I pulled in and I jumped over the wall and went to get the piece of wood. And I didn't ask permission. I just took it but the minute I lifted it up and took it this feeling came over me very very strongly like I was in serious trouble with my mother that kind of feeling you know if anybody else knows mm -hmm. that Irish mammy feeling where you're absolutely terrified <laughs> <laughs> and um, I kind of knew something was I couldn't understand because I was I had disconnected from all that stuff and so but I knew there was something wrong and I walked back to the car and I just felt guilty and I felt this is weird and I just ignored it and I threw the piece of wood back into the boot it was sticking out and got into the car and turned the key didn't think too much of it but the key wouldn't work the car wouldn't start it was completely dead and I've always found this with my cars they reflect they 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 are very much message they give me messages all the time you know anyway there was no move in that car it was just no life in it and I called the garage and somebody came out and you know, it turned out that the earth wire had been disconnected from the engine. Oh. And so it was a very strong, it was a very <laughs> strong message. So I gingerly got out um, when the guy had fixed it and I took the piece of wood and I put it back and I apologized. And then on, I started to wake up and remember who I was and who we are, you know, and how our connections are very um, sacred. Um, and until we start treating the earth as a sacred being, mm. uh, we won't get to stay here anymore. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll be, she'll have to push us off to survive and look after all of her other children. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that it was such a blatant message. There was no, no gray area with that clear as mud yeah. <laughs> straight for yeah. you. How do you, um, kind of suggest to people to start to commune with the land on what the land wants to become, like getting that insight from the land as to how it wants to grow and thrive. Well, it, 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 it wants to be a community of native plants. Mm. Now, the native plants are what restore. They're like the foundation stone of what's above and below the soil. So, um, then in terms of the shapes and patterns that you create within that um yeah that's that's a whole course like you know that's but it's like I suppose what I if I'm working with a client I'll you know I'll try and I do a lot of research and history and I talk to the clients and try and find out if there's any symbols or patterns or poems or songs or anything that means something really strongly to them and there's usually something within that that reflects the land as well because we're attracted to pieces of land that have the same kind of damage that we have you know the land draws us in and so you know I always tell people that you know my land here is clearly has issues with rejection and abandonment you know and it takes you know takes a long time for it to bother connecting because there's there's this kind of it rejects you before it, you reject it and I'm very like that as well like you know um 
and yeah, no, as I work with it, it's gradually getting better, and so am I, you know, and that's how it works is you you heal your land and you find you're healing your own issues as you as you as you go, and it's kind of a backwards way of going around getting well because you know most people find it hard to get well by other means you know it's a lot of work but if you're working on something which is actually an extension of you um it's quite an interesting and different process yeah what i received from that is like cultivating a relationship with the land and that like the union between the two of you and so when you're getting insights into things it's like coming from the land like you're mirroring each other on your healing path. And so cultivating that relationship, mm, I just moved to the ocean. So now Ooh. I'm like, Ooh, I wonder what, <laughs> what the waters are reflecting for me at this time on my, yeah. my healing path. You get into the water. Yes. Yes. Wow. And that's so healing. So for you with your garden, so I haven't actually been able to go to one, but I have a friend in Ireland and she sends me pictures because she's visited um, some of your gardens and there's such a different feel to them. Like there's such an energy and a wildness. So is there a process to how that's cultivated or is it kind of you sinking into the land, just like you spoke of and you allowing it to speak to you and then you guys working in union as to what it wants to become? Um, there is a process, I guess, but it's different for every piece of land. It's like meeting a person, different people. Mm. You know, some of them are really friendly and really want to get to know you. And some of them just don't. And you might connect with some of them. And it's all a bit of a, you know, who knows what you're going to meet until you meet it. And then, and then it is, um, I mean, it's the same answer as last question, really. It's just like, you know, getting to know the people who reflect it, um, mm. you, know, you know, really looking at what kind of an ecosystem would be there if it was allowed to be, like getting to know the type of soil it is, the, the type of situation that's there, you know. Um, it's just, it just takes a while. It's like getting to know something and then you work with it and you work with the client's requirements and to try and find a balance between that and what the land wants to do itself and generally most land wants to become woodland and in an arc what we're doing is we're if you have enough land to allow as much of it as you can become woodland and then um, have as many different layers and breaks in there as as possible because all the life is in the edges between different systems so the life mm -hmm. is in the edge between a meadow and a lawn or you know a, a pit thorny scrubby area and a woodland or um you know the edges of a pond mm. all those all the life is in the edges so you try and create as many edges as possible and um by creating spaces within an ecosystem you're creating lots of edges so it's a good thing so you can be part of it and you can walk around and and chat to everything and you know sit and watch and get to know all the dragonflies or Whatever, whatever comes to visit your part of the world. You know, I work with people all over the world on their arcs. And sometimes like, it's just amazing. Like one woman, I remember she was, she had a serious alligator, allig <laughs> alligator problem, you know, and she was trying to allow the alligators to live with her. But it was quite an interesting kind of 
<laughs> complicated consultation process that one Jenny wow she had the alligators yeah <laughs> <laughs> being in communion with them that's wild I yeah. loved that thinking about what the land would be if you weren't here that feels like we can all envision what our backyards would be if that hadn't been developed and starting to allow it to come back yes. come back to that space support it to come back support mm. it it's a very different thing and yeah. that's that's what our king is all about um and it's a wonderful process and it doesn't have to cost anything you know that's the really cool thing about it i mean i mean you know they're in now in canada is different i know there's some really great native plant nurseries and things like that but over here there really isn't and you know so it's all about seed sharing with your friends and you know getting cuttings and you know mm. and going back to doing things in a really simple way um and you don't have to spend money it does involve a little bit of planning and work but you know leaving it and taking out the non-native plants is brilliant can just do that much you're you're flying you know yeah that's it really beautiful simple really do you want to speak briefly to the book before we close sure well that's um it's a really uh it's a really hopeful book it talks about um very very practical how to build an ark no matter where you are in the world but it also talks about the solutions to lots of other stuff um and uh, you know how it's a lot about food and how we need to change the way we treat our sewage um this like all the things we need to stop doing and there's lots of solutions in the book um if you want to delve more into the solutions that exist i would highly recommend paul hawkins book regeneration mm-hmm. um ending the climate crisis in one generation. He has all the solutions in there, but this one is specifically solutions about um, biodiversity and nature and restoring nature to as many patches and creating a patchwork quilt of hope. Mm. You know, that's, that's the plan. And, and it's, it's, it's a secret, my secret world domination plan is to, is to get everybody to let go of their gardens and to either grow their own food and give the rest back to her. Beautiful. And when does it come out? Next week. Next week. Okay. Very exciting. The 25th of October. So yeah, I'm not sure if it'll be next week on your podcast, but it's the 25th of October in in real time. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, it'll be in the show notes where everybody can look out for that book and experience its magic. And it's, yeah, it was really beautiful having you on the show. So thank you so much for this conversation and yeah. I look forward forward to reading the new book for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.